This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Roger Hartle, Neurosurgical Director at Ox Spine at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center. Dr. Hartle, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be back. Now, I'm looking forward to our conversation because I know you're on the forefront of so much what's happening in spine surgery today, especially looking at biological treatments and other things, as well as your work at um, Tanzania in, in medical mission work. And so I'm looking forward to talking about all of those things. But before we dive into that conversation, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Oh, yeah, of course. So I, you know, I'm a neurosurgically trained spine surgeon or spine surgery trained neurosurgeon, depending on how you look at that. Uh, I uh, originally, I, you know, I grew up in Germany. I went to medical school in Germany came over here, did my training in the United States, especially in Pittsburgh, and then at Wild Cornell, and my fellowship training in Phoenix, Arizona, at, at Barros with Volker Sontag. And I've been running here now the spine program for almost, like, you know, actually more than 20 years at Wild Cornell, and most recently the integration of the spine program between Cornell and Columbia under Oxspine, which, which we're very excited about. So that's that's basically my background and my current situation. Well, that's great to hear. And, you know, from your perspective, could you tell us about some of the most exciting things that are happening in spinal biologics today? Sure. You know, when I, when I started uh, as a spine surgeon at Wild Cornell, I was always interested in innovation, of course. And, and, I, and I got early on, I got really fascinated by minimal invasive spine surgery and and then as as i as i was diving deeper into the technology related to minimal invasive spine surgery which is something that we may also want to talk about uh, i i realized that really the, you know the least invasive operation is really uh, if you can use biologics you know if instead of putting screws or cages or reconstructing the spine if you can actually take advantage of nature's own ability to heal the body and heal the spine. And uh, it was about 15 years ago when I teamed up with Larry Bonassa, who is a professor of biomedical engineering up in Ithaca, at, you know, the, the, the main the Cornell campus, up in, which is about three, four hours north from Manhattan. You know, the medical school is here in Manhattan. But we started working about only almost 15 years ago. And he had a uh, technology that he worked on reconstructing or, or growing a spinal disc in, in, in the lab. And, and uh, that, that when, when we started working together, that was a very early work, of course, early technology. And then over the last 15 years, we started working together, trying to really bring that into clinical practice. And that has been the focus of our collaboration, where he's more the basic scientist, I'm more the translational researcher. So we do... Uh, some of the animal work here and all the, all of the imaging, and he does the actual lab work up in Ithaca. And we've had over the years fellows and residents who helped us uh, bring all this to fruition. Now, 
we we work on total disk replacement, but also which which I think is of maybe even greater immediate interest to patients and practitioners is annular repair. You know, because as as you as you know from dealing with this uh, every day in your practice with with surgeons and with back doctors, one of the biggest concerns in spinal disease is really once you have a herniated disc in the lumbar or cervical spine, you can treat this very successfully with an operation, but then what, right? Every patient I see, every patient who has a little bit of an understanding immediately is going to ask, well, what, what are you going to do with that hole, that, that annular defect where that disc herniation came from? And, and we just don't have the right answer. We, we have some implants that have been developed over the years. Uh, there's barricade, for example, then there were certain ways to, to treat the, or to fix the annulus with suturing devices. Those were all very, very promising. And barricade, I think, is being utilized now. Uh, but the verdict is still out whether this is really the answer. And it, it employs a mechanical implant that, that patients are never really so happy about. So our, our goal then is really to use, again, biologics to heal the annular defect. And what we have devised is a glue, essentially, a tissue glue that works very, very well in animals, and we've published that. And currently, we're, we're talking to the FDA about clinical trials. Wow, that's amazing to hear. And certainly, it seems like just a fascinating innovation in spine in a space where um, really can make a big difference for a lot of patients. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the numbers involved, you know, I think we do about 300,000 microdiscectomies per year. Uh, if there's a uh, recurrent potential re herniation rate of, you know, conservative 5 to 10, up to 30% of recurrent disc herniations, that, that's a huge number, right? And these patients suffer. You know, they have pain, they have neurological dysfunction potentially, and they may need, they, they may need revision surgeries, microdiscectomies, redo discectomies, up to fusion, you know, up to maybe even fusion or, or arthroplasty procedures. So it's a huge problem. Absolutely. That really makes a lot of sense. And, you know, lots of exciting, as you mentioned, things happening on the innovation side to certainly help patients and really um, restore some of the functionality, ideally, in the spine. Um, when you look into the next year, what are some of the big headwinds and, and trends that you're watching heading into 2024? I, I know there's a lot going on, whether it's on the technology side or the practice side or, or patient trends too. Yes. Um, what are you really watching really closely? Well, I personally here uh, in my practice, I'm most excited about the integration between our spine programs, between Cornell and Columbia and New York Presbyterian as part of Ox Spine. That, that for me is really an incredible development. Uh, obviously for us locally here, but also kind of as an example of, of how spine really should evolve. It should have the collaboration of orthopedic and neurosurgical spine surgeons in the operating room, but also the collaboration of non-operative and operative physicians in the, in the clinic space and evaluating patients, you know, working up patients. And that's, that's what we're doing with Ox Spine. Uh, we're, we're opening a 50,000 square feet uh, outpatient spine facility in Hudson Yards towards the end of next year or the beginning of 2025. And we're in the, we're in the preparation phase now. It's all been approved. Uh, we're working together uh, to see patients uh, do procedures in the outpatient setting. And uh, that's gonna be an incredible 
endeavor for us, and I'm 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 very excited to be part of that. So that obviously takes up a lot of my time and enthusiasm and energy uh, in terms of uh, taking care of patients. Absolutely, and it seems like you know there's such a trend of more and more procedures going into the outpatient setting, um, which is you know, in, in spine, I know it's a very delicate procedure, but to be able to do that um, outpatient is really fantastic. Do you see um, more patients and procedures headed into that outpatient setting? And um, in particular, you know, how do you go from um, having teams that are really used to doing these big um, inpatient procedures to then transition and, and have them in outpatient setting? Yeah, I think that is a trend. And we looked at the numbers. There's certainly... Uh, in New York and probably all over the country, the tendency of more and more patients being done in the ambulatory setting. And uh, it has to do, a lot of it has to do with less invasive technology, protocols, anesthesia-related protocols that allow us to do these operations in the outpatient setting, but also technology. You know, we're watching very, very closely, for example, augmented reality, which is a a great priority. And I think augmented reality now allows us to do these operations more effectively in the operating room, but now also more and more, I think, for the outpatient uh, setting, you know, not only surgeries, but also interventional procedures with augmented reality. I, I think that's going to be uh, what I'm really, really interested and excited about. We're using it now for tumors and for spinal fusion operations, uh, but increasingly now with, with Technologies coming out with much greater accuracy, for example, uh, which translate into patient safety and, and better patient outcomes. Uh, the, these operations uh, are going to be done in the outpatient setting, you know, more and more. So, and 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 I think augmented reality is going to be an important part of that. That's great to hear, and you know, fascinating um, to see how the technology has evolved, and really now can be part of so many different types of procedures um, and make a difference for patients. That, that's really great. Yeah. Um, excellent. And really quickly here, before we wrap up, I know that you do a lot of mission work in Tanzania, and I, I wanted to ask you about that too. What are you most proud of in your work there, and how can other surgeons get involved? Yeah, no. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, I've I've worked in Tanzania uh, for the past 15 years. I was there as a medical student, and then I came back afterwards, and uh, it's been really a pleasure and, and really one of the highlights of my career so far. Uh, most proud of you know working with uh, the physicians, the nurses, and the medical team over there, and and watch them grow over the years. Uh, and then also the fellows and physicians that I work with from all over the world that really enable us and help us make this a reality. You know, when I when I first started working in Tanzania, uh, you know, as you can imagine, there's not a lot of technology involved. And we were actually very, very hesitant to bring over technology because things would break down and, and then the hospital over there wouldn't wasn't able to use it. But... I just want to bring that up because you asked me about technology. Really, over the last few years, what we've seen in Tanzania in particular is that if you if you know the system better and if you integrate, if you go back and they know you and, and I know them now, they know us, uh, the, the know-how is really much, much better and the trust. So now, for example, we brought over a navigation system. You know, Brain Lab from from a navigation company actually donated a navigation system and that works really really well and that's only possible because we've been going over there every year and there's a relationship now that encompasses regular meetings and zoom meetings 
So there's the support there now that we can actually introduce technology that 10 years ago I would never have brought over there. And we want to do the same now with spinal endoscopy, you know, because uh, spinal endoscopy potentially in that setting has huge advantages. You know, there's no infection. Hemostasis is not an issue in, 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 in a place like Tanzania where they don't have hemostatic ag agents, for example, all these little things. So there's a leapfrog phenomenon here that we really got to take advantage of. And I'm, I'm very excited about some of these technologies now taking off in these countries where 10 years ago I, I, I was very, very doubtful that it would. That's so interesting to hear and definitely great that you're able to provide such a service. And now, as you mentioned, the technologies are um, integrating there um, as well as, as in other parts of the world. Um, and you brought up an interesting point in terms of the financial side of the um, technologies. I can imagine that that, you know, can sometimes be a struggle no matter where you're um, trying to do procedures and bringing in new technologies and having the ability, um, you know, to, to have access to them. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the cost is, is definitely a concern. Fortunately, the work that we do in Tanzania, a lot of this is being covered, obviously, by donations at this point. But it doesn't, but it is, it is, the question is, is it going to be sustainable, right? And in order to make that determination, we collect data. So everything that we do, for example, in Tanzania, just like as it is here, is, is associated with, with meticulous data collection, you know? And, and we've always done that. You know, we, we, we don't introduce any type of technology without making sure that we're collecting data, uh, obviously all in the RB setting, it's all approved and so forth, to really figure out is it, is it effective, is it cost effective, is it safe, you know, what can be done better. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Hartle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such an interesting conversation. Um, I learned a lot. I appreciate your expertise and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure. You, die, you guys do amazing work with Becca. You really do. So thanks for having me. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.